to try something new today. So if it stinks, it's y'all's fault. Um, but we've been covering a lot of intense stuff in the book of James, the first two chapters. And we actually got some requests from some people about some questions that you had. And I didn't want to answer them on my own. So I <laughs> wanted to have somebody to defer to in case I didn't know the answer. And that would be Bruce. So, and if Bruce can't answer them, we're going to defer to Les McCurdy. So he'll... <laughs> The deeper theological questions we will hand off to Les. So the way it's going to work is we're going to have a couple of people with some wireless uh, microphones uh, to go around and, and have you guys ask some questions if you have some. I know Bruce has some questions as well that he'll sprinkle in. And the idea behind this is we want to continue to, first of all, we want to give you an opportunity to be more interactive with what we're doing as a congregation. But also we want to do more and more to break down the barrier between the stage and the congregation to make it more uh, of a warm feeling and make sure everybody understands that there's no great divide, that we're all amongst each other. And so I'm very excited about this. And if it goes well, I think we're, we're going to do some more of these in the future. Okay, so um, I think that's how we're going to do it. Do you have any ideas of how to get this kicked off? What should we do? I have no ideas whatsoever, but uh, okay. maybe some folks here have, have a... If you have a, yes, if you have a question, if you could raise your hand, uh, or if you have a question written out that somebody else gave you that you want to have read, uh, uh, Steve Lenz is back there with a microphone. And so who's going to be the brave soul to kick it off? Boom. All right. That means it's a question from the youth. Uh-oh. Okay, so the question, the, the question is, does everybody go to heaven? And I think it's pretty clear what the Scripture teaches is that's, that's not necessarily uh, the case. Uh, the Scripture teaches that, you know, Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Uh, the Scripture has a lot of things to say about sin and what God feels about sin. And that's the reason that what James does is he kind of paints this picture. He says, look, if you have a life that looks like this, I'm warning you. Because you may not have the faith that saves. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 1, it says, Receive with, with meekness, with humility, the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. And so I think what we can glean from that is the fact that our souls need saving. Because if our souls don't really need saving, then, then what's really the point of being concerned about righteousness? or uh, good faith versus bad faith, or anything like that. And so I believe the answer to that question is, not everyone goes to heaven, uh, but it's very clear that those who have received with meekness the implanted word of God and have that faith and trust in the work of Christ on the cross are transformed not only here on earth with what they do and how they look and how they act and all those things take place, but in addition to that, the scripture says the implanted word saves your souls. And James elaborates more on that in the coming chapters that we're going to study. You want to add anything to that, Bruce? Yeah, I, I guess the only, one of the things that uh, I particularly appreciated about the passage from last week was uh, we were in, in, it was James 2, that very last verse that Joe talked about, James 2.13, says, For judgment will be without mercy, to anyone who has shown no mercy. And then the last words are the ones I love. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I think what that says to us is that God's desire is for all to come to know Him and trust Him 
in Christ Jesus. And so since we know God's heart in this matter, I, I think that's what gives us the, the impetus, the energy, the motivation to share what we have come to know of God in Jesus Christ. Because of the truth that left to our own devices, we are going to walk away from God. That's our natural bent. God's desire is to reorient us, to transform us, to change us from the inside out, and to be in relationship with us through faith in Christ Jesus. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's God's character, desiring to be in relationship with each one of us. And mercy over judgment is also another uh, outflow of humility and brokenness. Because if we're humble and broken, we're not going to have as our main characteristic judgment. We're going to be merciful, which is a characteristic that God gives us. Good question. Uh, anyone else have a question they want to ask? Anyone else from the, from the group? Who oh, Over here. I, oh, the comedian has a question. Great. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask two questions, and one is, is based on uh, what was just asked. Um, it seems contradictory. Uh, uh, this goes, uh, talking about everyone going to heaven. Let's go to the point of going to hell. It seems contradictory that you have a God that is the foundation of love, all forgiving, but yet you could do something that is based on an interpretation of men that could send you to everlasting damnation within this short lifetime. Uh, and within James' teachings, kind of what do you feel about that in hell? Um, and the whole third chapter of James denounces my profession. <laughs> the, almost all of it. Correct. Yes. Correct. Correct. Let's go to hell again. Correct. Uh, with the exception of, I think, the last two verses, which is something that I would wrestle with. I can, I can, I can take my own concept of it. And then when you go over to four uh, nine, there's a passage that I don't really understand, and that is. Be sad and sorry and weep. Stop laughing and start crying. Be gloomy instead of glad, as if that is a way that is better to be. There you go. Well, I'll take the last one first. Um, in a few weeks, I'll be preaching on that passage, and uh, we're going to talk about that aspect, about what does he mean by be mournful and sorrowful and weep, and, and what he's doing. Remember, what James does throughout the book is he gives you these comparative sandwiches, right? He'll give you, you know, <clears throat> one side saying one thing and one the other, and then you have to look at the meat in the middle. And that's one of those sandwiches. It's a sorrow sandwich that we're going to talk about in a few weeks. So to answer that question, did you want to answer any of the other questions first? Or? Well, I, I think the, uh, in, in the passage that you referred to last that Joe was talking about with the sorrow sandwich, what what I see in that passage right off the bat is, is an image of, of repentance, of what happens to us when we actually recognize our, um, 
what has separated us from God. And, and so I think that that is not, it's not a picture of what the, what the life of following Christ looks like forever and ever. It's a picture of, of what happens when we come face to face with our brokenness before mm -hmm. God and that, that transformation begins. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes over. I would agree. I would agree with that. It's a re, it's a reaction to humility and brokenness, which the implant when the implanted word of God. Remember what we talked about in the first chapter, when the scripture says, you know, an, an, a double-minded man who's one who looks himself in the mirror and sees who he is naturally and immediately walks away. In other words, the word of God is a mirror. You look in and you see your deficiencies and you don't care. Right? It doesn't bother you. I, I don't care about my brokenness because I don't see myself as broken. Well, that's the opposite of humility and meekness. That's arrogance and cockiness. And, and that's also what leads us in the midst of that to be ones who judge, to be ones who set a standard of spirituality or religiosity that we cast upon others and we say, you should be like this. When in reality, what we should be saying is, man, I have deficiencies in my own life. In reference to your, ask, to your question about, about hell, I think it's more important for us to, look, to recognize uh, sometimes we get this concept and we spend a lot of time thinking about hell as a big campfire that's really hot. You know, that's, and I understand the imagery that the, the scripture gives us, but in reality, what hell more is, is separation from God. Because, see, one of the things about a righteous and just God is that, yes, he's righteous and he's, and he's just and he's also merciful. But the problem is this. God cannot mix himself with sinfulness. Because if he does that, he's no longer perfect. And so to, to, to solve that problem, he sent his son Christ to die on the cross. Because the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or cleansing of sin. And so what God did is he said, you know, I want these people to be with me. But the only way that I can interact with them is through the blood of Christ. And through the blood. And that's why in the Old Testament, before Christ came, how did, the, how did they uh, have cleansing in the Old Testament? Through the shedding of blood of a lamb or a dove. And so there was always a shedding of blood. As a matter of fact, I preached a sermon here not too long ago in Psalm 51 about how they would ceremoniously take a, a hyssop branch and dip it in a bowl that was mixed with blood and water from a bird and sprinkle it on the people. Again, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean is what David said in Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And when he says hyssop, he's talking about blood. He's talking about a hyssop branch dipped in blood and sprinkled on the people ceremoniously. And so what we have to understand is that hell is, a, is the result of separation from God because of our wickedness, because of our righteousness. I mean, because of our lack of righteousness. And so we have to recognize that the only way to avoid that separation, because what Bruce just talked about, right, you talked about our depravity, about how our natural bent is to go away from God. See, I believe that we all have free will. The problem is we all use it to sin. And we left alone, what we do is we choose sin. We choose selfishness. We choose unrighteousness. And when that happens, we naturally drift away from God. And the only way to drift back toward God is when God takes the implanted Word of God, puts it in our hearts, and what happens is that breaks us, that humbles us. It allows us to go before the mirror and see our deficiencies, to see our weaknesses, to see our flaws, and say, wow, I'm depraved. I need righteousness. I need cleansing. Purge me with hyssop, God. And our cry becomes the same one that David had. In Psalm 51, we said, purge me with the blood. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. 
And so what we have to recognize is that hell is a willful separation by us from the righteousness of God. And so that's where redemption comes into play. I hope that kind of explains a little bit. I want you to think of hell more of an eternal separation from a righteous and holy just God. And the only way that God can bridge that separation gap is through the death of his own son, who, by the way, had no sin. That's why his blood works. For the price for sin is what? Death. But the gift of God through Christ is eternal life. Okay? Anyone, you want to add anything to that? or um, Any mistakes that I made you want to correct? Or? No, no, okay. no, no mistakes. I, I just, just in, in the question, Les, you, you, the way you phrased it was that um, you have a tough time with that by our, in our, that our sins in this short, relatively short time we have on this earth, that somehow we, I'm paraphrasing, but we kind of earn hell for ourselves. And, and I think this goes beyond just James, but from the overall teaching of Scripture is that um, that because of the early chapters in Scripture describe how humankind um, fell from God's intended relationship with us. And so, really, in in fact, what we have is that we are, and and our, our sacrament of baptism is a great picture of of what we believe, that as, as hard as it is to say and to acknowledge, what, what Scripture actually shows us is that we are um, separated from God by the fact that we are human. We are a fallen race now, created in God's image, yes, created good, created to be in relationship, but that relationship was broken on our side. And then what we do in our own power by our own volition in life, like Joe has said, is really continue on that path. And so the, the, the transformation happens from God's side, reaching down to us, bridging that chasm in Jesus and, and, and then transforming us. And, and I agree with what Joe said. I think as a Presbyterian pastor, I'm required to quote C.S. Lewis at least one time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually, the, the, uh, a tremendously compelling image for me comes from a, a book by C.S. Lewis. And I, Pastor Steve is actually leading a conversation on it on Tuesday evenings. It's called The Great Divorce. And, and the image is that, um, that those who uh, are who are, are not transformed, who do not uh, trust in Christ Jesus and turn to God, they, um, they after the, their earthly life is over, they go to this gray and shadowy place. And, and, and they are, you know, conscious beings. And, but what they find is that they don't want to live, many of them don't want to live together, so they keep moving further and further away. And, and, until, and, you know, the question was, well, so what about, you know, this terrible person from history or that terrible person from history? Oh, we don't see that person anymore because they've moved so far away. It's a, it's a volitional continuation of walking away from God. Correct. Good. 
Any other questions? Anybody else? Who's next? Up here, the new member who, who we had to pay to join. Question. Uh, we see a lot of suffering in the world. We see a lot of pain. Uh, we see a lot of anguish. And one thing that, that I think we all struggle with in our faith is, is why is that? Why does that happen to the people who we seem to think are good people or, or Christians or people that are really even strong in their faith? It seems to happen to them. And then also, how do I trust God? Because that, that sometimes that creates some trust issues between us and God. Why would he allow such bad things to happen to, to such good people? Yep. And then how do I trust him when those kinds of things do happen? Yeah, I think that goes to one of the messages we preached if not too long ago. I heart trials. I, I love trials. And I, I think a good example, some of you know that I work with the Riverview basketball team. And I've been coaching high school basketball for about you know, almost 20 years, right? It's been a big part of my life. And what normally happens is early on in the season, there are a lot of cupcakes on the schedule, right? And you just blow them out. It's easy, right? It's a lot of fun. I mean, you run the score up, you know, you send those kids home crying to their parents. You win by 30 or 40. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in the wrong mode. Sorry, take that back. Um, but the point is you're playing these teams that aren't very good, right? And you, and you think, man, we're looking good. We just won by 30 tonight, man. We had, you know, so many rebounds and so many three-point shots, and we were just killing them. And, and what you also recognize is you weren't really tested, so you really have no idea how good your team is, right? And then later on in the year, as you get into your district schedule and you get into some of these holiday tournaments, you start playing these really good teams, and sometimes the table's a turn, and you get your butt kicked by 20 or 30 points, and they're immoral for doing it right? But, but the point is, you don't really know how good your team is until it's tested. And that's why, as a basketball coach, we love to schedule tough teams, because it lets us know as, as a coach, okay, where are we right now in our progression as a team? Are we ready for the end of the year? Are we ready for the tournament? Are we doing everything we can to make sure that we know where our team is? And we practice hard, and we work hard, and we put plays in, but we don't really know how good we are until we play somebody good. Well, in our faith, it's the same way. That's why James says, count it a joy, count it a privilege when you go through difficult times because the testing of your faith produces patience. And he talks about how the fact is you can't really know how great your faith is. And by the way, if God has saved you with the implanted word of God and has transformed your heart, remember we talked about redemption, about how you can trust it? You guys remember we did that, that, that series on redemption? We talked about it's so good that God never does a terrible job of saving us. You don't really know how strong and good your faith is unless you go through a hard time. And the fact of the matter is, because of depravity, because man's natural state is to, to veer away from God, the world is a depraved place. The world is full of darkness and wickedness. I mean, like I've said in the past, you don't have to teach a kid how to rebel when they're born. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. That's a natural instinct. And so imagine that multiplied by billions. I mean, you've got some very bad things that go on in the world. And so the natural thing is going to be, because the world in itself has not been redeemed yet, there are going to be difficulties that take place. What is fantastic is that when God saves you, those things can't mess it up. So to answer your question, the reason we're excited when things happen, yes, it's painful. Yes, we go, I've had some difficulties in my life and many of you have as well. The reason that we embrace those is because it shows us how good our team is. 
right? It shows us how good it is and how strong. Man, you know, I wasn't sure how good my faith is. But when I went through that trial, man, God really came through in my life. Wow. And it gives you more confidence. I'm ready to take on anything. So I don't know if that answers your question. Okay, good. Thank you for planting that one. That was easy. I hit that out of the park. So, yeah, go ahead. I, I think that um, so there's a, another facet to, to the response. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, when, when another person is going through a real challenging time, we'll sort of, as, as Christians, we'll sort of fall back on cliches, you know, oh, God won't give you any more than you can handle, or I guess God needed him more than we do down here. Um, you know, Joe has shared some really difficult things that he has been through, and, and you know, mine isn't, as, isn't on the same level as Joe's, but it was about the... About a, 13 years ago and I was in 2000 um, I started to have problems with my right eye it, I got a detached retina and then I had like these six surgeries over the course of a year and it kept coming undone and and um, you know when you have that happen in one eye then the chances are very high it's going to happen in the other eye and so I was dealing with this man when am I going to go blind what's what's this about and you know God where are you and What's, why? Why is this bad stuff happening? I mean, I was just, I was sitting there writing a sermon the first, when it happened. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really, <coughs> doing, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And, and it was the, it was the why. And, and I can't tell you today why that happened. But what occurred for me over that year, over that 10 months and those six different surgeries that I, that I had was, I had to come to the point with myself before God that I could just say, okay, God, you know, Paul had his thorn in the flesh. He prayed for it to be removed. You didn't remove it. And so maybe this is my thorn in the flesh. I'm, I'm going to trust that eventually I'll get it. And, and maybe it'll, it won't be until I'm in your presence when you can connect the dots for me. But I, I think that's... Kind of a, a, it's a point that I needed to come to, and and maybe it's a word for others who are going through difficult times. Well, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness has its full effect, you are perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So um, we only have a couple of minutes left. And so uh, we didn't get through a whole lot of questions, but uh, I think this is something that's enjoyable. I hope you guys enjoy the opportunity. And I think, that, yes. Go ahead. Do we have time? About, I, maybe, I'll I can't try see it. The clock. It's about two and a half minutes. So I'll try it in two and a half minutes. Go ahead. Um, how do you know when you have the implanted word of God? And also, how can you not judge someone? Like whenever you see <coughs> someone, you're judging. The question is, how can you know if you have the implanted word of God? That's a good question. First of all, the fact that you would even ask, okay, is the implanted word of God in me? That tells me that it is. 
Because the natural response to having the implanted word of God is brokenness, meekness, humility. What's going on in my life? Does it measure up? What's, see, because people that don't really care whether or not their faith is real don't really ask those questions. So if you're asking, man, is the implanted word of God in me? I sure hope it is. To me, that's an indication that the word of God is holding up that mirror and you're seeing deficiencies and you're trying to adjust your life. and to make. Sh- so just to encourage you with that. As far as judging others, the key to that is another example of the outflow of the implanted word of God. It's brokenness, meekness, humility. See, your heart gravitates toward mercy when you've been broken by your own wickedness. Does that make sense? When you recognize, if you don't recognize your own deficiencies, you're going to be pretty arrogant and judgmental of other people. So I hope that answers your question. Just to encourage you, one of the ways you know the implanted word of God is in you is that you're saying, man, I want to make sure that my faith is real. I think that's awesome. That, that's what that does. Now, um, we didn't get a whole lot of questions. I know some of you might have some more. Uh, the difficult ones can be emailed to me at megmooney at hotmail.com, and you can send those. <laughs> just send those to me. And I'll be sure to get them as soon as possible. No, you can email or call or whatever, and we'll, we'll answer the questions. I'll, I'll do the best I can through email over the course of the coming few weeks. This is the first time we've done this. I think what will happen is as we do it more, the, uh, the, the anxiety that you might have to ask a question you want to ask will kind of dissipate, and you become more and more comfortable being involved, right? And so that's kind of what we'll do. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think it's a good checkpoint. We'll probably do another one at the end of our series on the book of James. And so we're looking forward to that, okay? So why don't we pray and then we're going to go and and, uh, we'll see you all at Sarah's Cafe for Sunday brunch, $12. Uh, Criticize the pastor right there. It only costs 12 bucks, all right? Heavenly Dad, I want to thank you so much for the implanted word of God that transforms us, that breaks us, that that crushes us. And then through the word of God and through the blood of Christ cleanses us, redeems us and takes us from separation and joins us back together with you in fellowship. Lord, we thank you for the trials and difficulties that we go through in our life that confirm our faith, to make it real, to know that we can have absolute extreme confidence in it. God, I pray that you'll continue to help us to grow not only our love for you, but our love for others, that we can continue to be people who have mercy, triumph over judgment. And we ask for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk again, okay? See you guys next week.